Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It is the second hour of Mornings with Carmen on this Monday, June the 28th. Lots of folks this week getting ready for uh, the celebration of Independence Day, July the 4th. And so looking forward to that um, here in the Faith Radio family as well. I'm wondering if that has an influence on what you're reading this week in terms of uh, the scriptures. Where in the Word are you today? Conversation in the last hour provoked a listener to uh, to text in and uh, be sure that we were mindful of and reading again Romans chapter ten. So appreciate uh, appreciate you guys uh, highlighting those kinds of things as always. Uh, Romans thirteen um, lifted up as well, um, and somebody saying, "Hey, don't forget this week about Galatians chapter five. And so I think that the freedom passages, the independence passages tend to rise to mind when we're having conversations about July the 4th. Um, I'm, I, I'm suspecting that there are other conversations um, that we're having as well this week. And so let's be mindful of that. I am mindful that not everyone in our nation feels the same way about the flag um, or the national anthem or the history of the nation or even its founders. And so I think that we as Christians in the culture have to be sensitive to those things and not conflate our faith with our um, love of country. Um, and just be sure that we are a people who are appreciative, deeply, deeply, deeply appreciative um, that we live here and that we live in a, a nation where freedom rings and that the freedoms that we enjoy here um, are freedoms constructed on a worldview that is based in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. And so let's be very mindful of that. Let's be clear about that. Certainly, um, if we're looking at Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But the freedom that and the, and the slavery, the yoke of slavery being discussed in Galatians chapter 5 is not, um, you can't equate that to the freedom that we enjoy here in the United States of America. Like the freedom that we enjoy in Christ is a freedom from the penalty of sin and death and from the power of sin in this life. And people living in in and under any governmental regime of any variety can enjoy that kind of freedom. And it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And let's be mindful that we have Christian brothers and sisters around the world living under under tyranny in the world and yet still living with the freedom that Paul is talking about in Galatians chapter 5. So I think that in this week when we are celebrating um, freedom as Americans, it's really important for us to understand what the scriptures are talking about when uh, the the language of freedom is used. All right, up next we have, now this is kind of fun. I'm going to introduce him this way. We have a city councilman from Beaver Creek, Ohio. That's kind of a fun way to start off. He also happens to be a university professor at Cedarville. 
Dr. Glenn Doerr joins me next. We're going to talk about a range of headlines, including uh, those from Russia and China. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Glenn Doerr from Cedarville University. Uh, Glenn, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a delight to have you here. I would actually love to have a conversation with you at some point about, you know, your service as a city councilman in your um, in your community there, because that would be really fun. I don't think we often consider that university professors who, you know, are busy uh, doing things are also servants in their local communities. And so that would be a great conversation for us to to have um, at a future date. And maybe we could tee that up if you're willing to talk about it. Absolutely. It'd be my pleasure. That's awesome. All right. Today, you and I have uh, have put on our agenda to talk about what's going on in Russia and China. So, Glenn, I know this is your first time on the show. So here's what I'm going to invite you to do. Um, let's let's have a little worldview conversation about Russia. Give us your sense of an overview, maybe even a survey of your concerns related to uh, Russia today. Uh, I have the privilege of teaching a class on the history and politics uh, of Russia uh, every other year. And there's a stunning and a very spectacular uh, cultural history that runs through uh, Russia from its Foundings as Kievan Rus in the 800s uh, through the present. Uh, but the unfortunate thing is the country has largely been mired uh, in authoritarianism for centuries and has had only very, very rare uh, outbreaks of democracy, despite the fact that there's a fair amount of support for um, probably a Jeffersonian style system. And so Russia, unfortunately, has has been backsliding since the 1990s in terms of democratic rights. And I believe it it did possess some uh, through the 1990s. Uh, And as Vladimir Putin has consolidated power over the course of the last 20 years, it's not to say that Russia is devoid of uh, any election or uh, electoral surprise, uh, but it certainly is, is not a bastion of freedom. It has openly interfered in the elections of numerous countries in Eastern Europe, has rampaged through Georgia in 2008, uh, as well as Ukraine in 2014, and so uh, remains problematic on the world stage for those of us that love freedom and liberty. Uh, It is a country with a a long Orthodox Christian history, Um, again, post uh, fall of the Berlin Wall, end of the Soviet Union. There was a revival of sorts, um, a range of different Protestant groups, uh, Baptist in particular, where the numbers grew fairly significantly. Uh, but there have been recent governmental clampdowns in the Duma, which is their lower house, and the Federation Council, which is their upper house, equivalents of the House of Representatives and Senate, respectively. So when you um, when you survey what's happening uh, in Russia today, when you consider, let's say there, I mean I don't know, is the word encroachment into Crimea? When you um, when you consider the things that they um, are doing in terms of interfering with democracies around the world uh, in election processes, um, 
Does this does it seem to you as if Russia is playing fair and um, a nation that can be trusted in terms of geopolitical relationships for the United States? There are a couple of ways to look at it. On the one hand, Russian history is replete with invasions from the Mongols in the 13th century through uh, the Commonwealth of Poland-Lithuania that sacked Moscow in 1610. Uh, the Great Northern War with the Swedish Empire um, had a significant incursion in the Russian Empire. We think of Napoleon in 1812, um, the Russian Civil War in 1917, uh, the Nazi invasion in 1941. All of these have deeply impacted the Russian psyche to the point where it's almost assumed that there'll be some kind of buffer zone to Europe wherein they can stop that kind of invasion. And so that's deeply held in the Russian psyche. Uh, the problem with that in the modern era is that uh, annexing or interfering with other countries is just not palatable. It was a lesson of World War II. It was a way that the world was structured thereafter. And so Russian actions have been deeply problematic across the Baltics, uh, Poland, uh, Czech and Slovak republics, for example, uh, well into the Balkans. And so they've been mischievous, to say the least, uh, and also pushing back against democratic rights, human rights that we would consider uh, fairly normal in the West. And so uh, you know, th there's a balance that needs to be taken. Um, assurances that could be given to Russia in terms of their uh, position, but also red lines that are drawn. You know, here are um, some situations that are simply unpalatable, things that you cannot do to other countries. This is the way that the world is structured today. All right, we're going to take a very brief break. And when we come back, we're going to ask Dr. Glenn Doerr from Cedarville University to do a similar reflection on China. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You got me singing like this. Dr. Glenn Doerr joins me from Cedarville University. Uh, his research interests include national nationalism and secession political violence, Christianity and politics. And so, yeah, I think he's going to be a great conversation partner over time for us here at Mornings with Carmen. So, um, Dr. Doerr, let's do a similar little you know, reflection or analysis on China, maybe worldview, aspirations, um, where do we start a conversation about the nation of China? Yeah, it's a great question. China is a country of 1.4 billion people. So between China and India, they really dwarf everyone else. Imagine adding a billion people to the United States, for example, which is the third largest country in the world in terms of population. That shows you the, the gap. But having said that, roughly 90 million people are members of the Chinese Communist Party, the controlling party of the country. And so it's a very small percentage uh, that actually run China. Uh, and so if we look at this Chinese Communist Party, um, it's highly problematic, uh, a Marxist worldview that undergirds their system, although uh, with flexibility. Uh, China has become 
much more capitalistic or at least some level of state-led capitalism where the government is heavily influential in loans, etc. But they've still produced a number of billionaires and many millionaires uh, in recent years. Uh, and so there's this dichotomy, in a sense, between the Chinese Communist Party and really the rest of China, the average Chinese person, uh, where in the last century, uh, the numbers of believers in Christ has actually skyrocketed skyrocketed dramatically, arguably to the point where there are maybe 100 million believers, which could then increase again to a quarter of a billion uh, believers, according to some estimates, within the next decade or two, which is really, really exciting when we think about the potential uh, permeation of a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview, within China. Again, though, it's very tightly controlled. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party has just celebrated its 100th anniversary, uh, its founding in 1921, uh, but really didn't come to power until 1949. And it's proven to be very, very resilient, uh, even with economic growth. In the political science literature, basically every country that has moved from low income to middle income has democratized, and the theory has gone that um, – as the middle class expands, there's a greater desire for rights for the average person, uh, which then pushes the government towards change. That held basically until China. Uh, and so unfortunately, the Chinese Communist Party seems to have a very rock-solid grip on power. Uh, its uh, general secretary, President Xi Jinping, uh, has overturned recent uh, expectations in Chinese governance. Uh, that is, if your listeners remember Jiang Zemin and Hu Jintao, for example, uh, the previous two leaders, the expectation was that they would govern for a decade and then allow a new generation to lead. Uh, Xi Jinping has overturned this and has effectively become a dictator for life uh, over a very powerful country, now the second largest economy of the world. And so uh, really, when we talk about worldview in China, there are opposing worldviews, but the Chinese Communist Party is in power, and really it has become a, a worldview of Xi Jinping um, in contrast to previous decades of Chinese Communist Party rule. And when we talk about China's you know, aspirations, uh, I think that we as Americans, you know, we have a way of thinking about things. Um, we understand, you know, time is linear um, or history is linear. Uh, we also, I think, tend to think in very, very short political cycles, like four years. Um, that's not really the way people in China, certainly not the, the Chinese Communist Party, is thinking about or seeing the world. It's a fantastic point. And Really, we've seen a, a dramatic rise of China over the course of the last 40 years, uh, rising first economically under the radar, trying to present to the West, rest of the world a, a view of China that it's not going to be belligerent in any way. But I think what we've seen, uh, especially in the last three years or so, is a, is a China with increased aspirations. Uh, to push back against international law as it exists today, um, certainly looking for greater control and power in the South China Sea, but the potential as well for annexation of 
um, adjacent territory in Bhutan, for example, in India, where there have been skirmishes along the border, and the real potential for conflict over Taiwan, which it considers a, a renegade province that will one day come back into the fold. And so, so the, real the real danger of China um, perhaps starting something minor that then flares up into a larger conflagration. And that's the real danger today. Let's focus in on um, on Taiwan. I appreciate your uh, drawing our attention um, to that situation. Brief people in on the the relationship between China and Taiwan and what's happening there. If we look at examples like Macau and Hong Kong, um, territories that belong to China but were effectively leased, we'll call it, uh, by the UK and Portugal for 99 years. Uh, China looks at its situation in the 19th century, especially the Opium Wars, as a time of uh, a national nightmare, a national humiliation where, they, um, where their power base was overturned. Uh, and part of that includes losing, in their view, uh, Taiwan. And so China, uh, really in the last 50 years, has been on a – um, a campaign around the world to try and uh, push countries away from recognizing Taiwan and recognizing the People's Republic of China instead, to the point where really only around 15 countries in the world recognize Taiwan as an independent country. Uh, and slowly but surely, China has, has put together a campaign to try and bring Taiwan back into the fold, a range of different manipulative um, um, behaviors within the electoral system uh, of Taiwan, a range of different threats, uh, and recently uh, both naval and air uh, exercises designed to intimidate the Taiwanese. And so Taiwan is uh, a democratic country. There are a lot of Christians in Taiwan. It's been uh, a fairly free country. Uh, it's very strong economically in terms of overall per capita income. Uh, but there's a real danger that uh, China will look to uh, make a change in status of Taiwan uh, to bring it into China uh, and to change things. Uh, and that is the real challenge ahead of the Taiwanese in the forthcoming years. I know we don't have um, a lot of time left, but I'd love um, for you to just touch on what is happening uh, in Ethiopia um, in terms of the Tigray region to bring people up to speed on that situation. As many of your listeners might recall, uh, Ethiopia was one of the most difficult countries in the world in the 1980s. A uh, number of campaigns in terms of feeding the children, stopping famines, etc. Uh, and since that point, um, well, I, I suppose um, following the conflict with Eritrea in the, that ended in the early 1990s, Eritrea gained its independence. Ethiopia stabilized, it's improved. It's not to say that it's become wealthy or um, uh, has made a major leap forward, but it's to say that things, things improved fairly dramatically. Um, uh, increases in economic output, greater democratization, those types of things. Uh, but in recent years, especially in the Tigray region in the north, 
there's been real concern over the Tigrayan role, an ethnic group within the wider government structure of Ethiopia. Uh, and this has um, basically morphed into uh, open conflict since November of 2020 that really threatens to destabilize the region, uh, but has also been rife with massive human rights atrocities to the point where the outside world doesn't know a whole lot about what's happening. There's massive political violence, especially against women, uh, and it's a really uh, devolving into a very bad humanitarian situation to the point where uh, Ethiopians are fleeing uh, refugees to countries across the region, in including Sudan. And if we think about this, Sudan is accepting refugees from elsewhere. That's the, the height uh, of the, the challenge in the region. Yeah, because Sudan's not in a position to receive refugees by any stretch of the imagination. So, um, yeah, we have we have a real regional conflict brewing there. Um, and I think as you have um, very adroitly noted, what happens in one place in the world now affects things everywhere in the world. There's no um, there's no living in isolation for one another now at this stage of the global game. Dr. Glenn Adore, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you will come back. I will. Thank you so much for having me. Excellent. Next time we're going to talk with you about serving on the City Council of Beaver Creek, Ohio, because that sounds like a whole lot of fun. All right. Dr. Glenn Doerr from Cedarville University. We'll be right back. During this uh, week of July the 4th, we thought it would be fun to talk with a member of the military community. So Megan Brown's going to join us next. She is a military spouse. She has uh, worked for a long period of time with the Military Ministry of Crew. But she's also joining us today because she's written a book. Uh, and it is Summoned, Answering a Call to the Impossible. It's an eight-week study of the book of Esther. So Megan Brown joins me next. This is Max Lucado. The Greek word used for love denotes an unselfish affection. The final phrase is the essential one, as I have loved you. Have you let God love you? Please don't hurry past the question. We don't love people because people are lovable. <laughs> Truth is, people can be cranky and stubborn and selfish and cruel. We love people for this reason. We have come to experience and believe the love that God has for us. We are beneficiaries of an unexpected, undeserved, yet undeniable gift, the love of God. And it is only by receiving our Father's agape love that we can discover an agape love for others. So be loved and then loved. Just as hurt people hurt people, loved people love people. So let God love you. This is Max Locato, and this is How Happiness Happens. Megan Brown joins me now. You can find her and her book and also opportunities to talk with her at MeganBBrown.com. Megan, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. 
Absolutely. So we definitely want to talk with you about your new book, Summoned, Answering a Call to the Impossible, this wonderful eight-week study of Esther. But can we start with a conversation about, like, your life? Take us into your life. Oh, my goodness. I guess if there were words for it, um, I would call it organized chaos. Um, We are a a 16-year military family. We have four kids, 13 down to age six, um, two fur babies, a partridge in a pear tree, and uh, we move every two to four years. Uh, We're currently at our fifth duty station. Um, My husband and I have been married a little over 15 years, and we've lived in almost 15 houses, if that gives you any idea of how crazy (laughs) our life has been. Um, But we are currently stationed on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Um, We are missionaries. Um, Our entire family lives missionally as the Lord sends us to the next duty station. See, I love that perspective because there are some people listening who are thinking, I cannot imagine packing up a household um, and kids and replanting myself every, you know, every year or so for for 15 years. And, you know, along the way, having babies and trying to find my feet and build community. But when you embrace that as um, the life to which God has called you as an ambassador of the gospel, it's it, it creates an entirely different perspective on what's happening. Amen. It does. You know, the military community is perfectly positioned uh, to serve the Lord as missionaries. We move every two to four years. We are master community builders. Um, we live missionally already. And I believe that if the local church and the military community could partner together, uh, that we could see the third great awakening. Okay, so I love that. That is because um, I wanted to get to the sense of your passion as a gospel, I don't know, Kickstarter, um, for lack of a better way of describing it. I think you have this really compelling vision of a partnership, uh, particularly in those communities where there's a military base. So why don't you cast that vision for us? Absolutely. Okay, so the military community is a global community. We are everywhere. We're in the lower 48. We're in Alaska. We're in Hawaii. We are in the middle of oceans. We are in Europe, Asia, Um, If we could equip this people group to carry the redemptive story of Christ, I believe that we could could literally see the Great Commission fulfilled in our day. Um, The the problem um, is that the military community uh, experiences a large and really kind of concerning disconnect from the local church. Um, We're sneaking in and out of the back doors. Uh, Local churches unintentionally Uh, many times, treat us as perpetual visitors. Um, We don't get plugged in. We definitely don't get plugged into the life of serving in the church um, because either we're new, we're not yet members, they don't really know us yet. Um, So we have to rebuild at every single location. And that that does take time. Um, But also at the same time, our lives are chaotic. We're experiencing high operations tempos, which means um, our spouses are deploying a lot. Um, We are carrying the emotional burdens of our children. We are readjusting to new jobs and to new positions and new places. So we're all at the same time trying to connect in with the local body while everything inside of our house is on fire. (laughs) So um, if the local church could learn to recognize some of our unique challenges simultaneously plug us into the life of the church to to lead and serve, 
then I think that when we move on, when we are sent to the next station, um, we could definitely do some um, amazing kingdom work uh, for the Lord. All right. So I think that is a tremendously compelling vision, something the church really needs help with. And so I'm hoping that um, I'm hoping that book is in the works. But we're going to talk today. It is. It is, guys. Oh, coming out next September. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. Well, thanks be to God. All right. So we're going to really, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, we are a military family, so I love this vision, and I am so excited um, to hear you cast it, and I can't wait to talk with you about that book. Today, let's spend the rest of our time together um, talking about Summoned. Uh, this is an eight-week study of the book of Esther answering a call to the impossible. And yes, for those of you who are listening, I have copies to give away. And now that you have heard Megan's voice, let me just say that um, as you read this book, like it's just exactly how she talks. And so that's one of the things, (laughs) it's totally like, it's almost like you just voice texted the book because it sounds like you. Like it's really, you don't always hear that in a book. You don't always like hear the author's voice. But now that I've heard your voice, I'm like, oh yeah, this book is written not just in first person, but in this conversational style that is really compelling. I just, I love the approach. Oh my gosh, that's such a beautiful comment. I I get um, messages from friends of mine that are reading the book and they tell me they can hear my voice in their head while they're reading. uh, And it always makes me giggle. Um, That's so funny. I I love that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So go ahead and text um, the word book to 877-933-2484. And author Megan Brown and I are going to begin to unpack Summoned, Answering a Call to the Impossible. It's an eight-week study of Esther. We're giving away copies today. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. All right, continuing my conversation now with Megan Brown. You can find her online, meganbbrown.com. We're talking about her brand new book, Summoned, Answering a Call to the Impossible. It's an eight-week study of the book of Esther. And yes, we're giving away copies today. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Okay, let's do this. Um, Why study the Bible and why the book of Esther? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, there's a story I write in the book that that really was transformative in my own walk with the Lord. Um, uh, The short story is that I had been a believer for a handful of years. Um, I came to Christ in my early 20s, um, but I really found the Lord in a dark place. Uh, My spouse was deployed. He was driving convoys in Afghanistan and and communications were not what they are today. And um, a really scary situation happened. Um, A postal worker showed up with his footlockers. And all the color drained from my face. I hadn't heard from him. Um, And I was completely caught off guard. And and the Lord really brought me nose to nose with my greatest fear, which is um, we live a lifestyle that that means there might come a day where my husband might not come home. And so um, here I am. I'm a professing believer, but I don't know where any of that faith or peace is at the moment. Um, I had a Bible in my hands, but I had no idea what it said. And I was at a church, but I wasn't immersed in a church. And so I went through this experience where I, I went through the scariest thing I could imagine happening to me. And the Lord felt like he was nowhere near me. Um, in the moment, what I now know is the Holy Spirit prompted me to pick up my Bible. And I read through the entire chapter of, of uh, chapters in First Thessalonians. 
I had no idea what I read or what it meant, um, but all I could grasp was pray without ceasing. And so I started to do that. I was washing dishes at night. Lord, don't let my husband be dead. I was washing children in and out of the tub. Lord, please. And, and many days, all I could do was just exhale the word, please. And, and on that beautiful day where my husband called me and I heard his voice on the other side of the line, more than feeling relief, I was overwhelmed with conviction um, that here I was face to face with this terrifying situation um, and this faith I had professed to have was absent. And so um, every, every day after that incense, um, at 8.30 at night, I get a little bowl of, of Bluebell ice cream and I sit down after all the kids are in bed and I would read my Bible. And, um, you know, years later, I would, I would um, definitely say that my, my uh, calling to ministry was planted firmly in that moment. Um, but why study the Bible? Well, if we believe that God's word is good and that God's word is for us, um, then we believe that it's authoritative and it has something to say to us. Um, and so we should, we should immerse ourselves into God's word so we can know who he is and what he's like um, and what he wants from our lives. Amen. And then I'll just ask the follow-up question, you know, why Esther? So um, after, after that terrifying experience, um, I opened my home at our next duty station uh, just to walk through books of the Bible. We were walking through the Gospel of Luke. I had no idea what I was doing. I wouldn't necessarily call myself at the time a qualified teacher. I just knew I loved the word and I loved others. And, and I thought that they should go together. And so um, we walked through the book and six women huddled around my coffee table. And the next week there were 17. The next week there were 25. Um, and before I knew it, women were dragging lawn chairs and red wagons down the street of our military neighborhood to hear the gospel and there was just such a hunger. So a few years later, I decided to get a theological education. So I enrolled at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Um, and then in an Old Testament theology class um, in 2017, we were walking through the book of Esther and I fell in love with it. I had, I had heard the story before, but I'd never read it immersively. And God is just speaking so loudly about himself and his faithfulness in hard times that it warranted some attention. <laughs> yes. Well, and I love that because it really is a study of the character of God and the interactions of God, um, not only in his like greatness, yes. but in his um, in, in his very present and uh, persistent faithfulness. It's it, it really is that it's this exploration of this book of the Bible that has very real applicability um, to life today. And so I appreciate that approach as well. Um, okay. I do need to know, is it a particular flavor of bluebell ice cream? Oh, girl, homemade vanilla all day. <laughs> homemade vanilla with, with a shocking and alarming amount of caramel on it. It's, it's, it's a cavity in a cup. It's really bad. <laughs> all right. So see, so it's homemade vanilla, but it, then it has caramel on top. So yes. yes. <clears throat> that sounds exceptionally decadent and just wonderful. All right. Yes. So, um, you have um, you have had some time to walk through the book, Summoned, Answering a Call to the Impossible, this eight-week study of Esther. You've had some time to walk through this with others. I'm interested to know um, what people's responses have been and maybe what you've learned as you have unpacked the book with others. Oh, my gosh. The, the, the comments have been pouring in. The emails have been coming. 
Um, people are telling me that they've never learned how to read the Bible line by line and verse by verse. Um, you know, we, there's a famous scripture, right, in, in Esther 4, for such a time as this, and that's where everybody's mind usually goes. Um, but they really haven't studied the backdrop and the dark history and the context behind what led us to that particular scripture. And so, I mean, there's some tough stuff in Esther. The Bible doesn't shy away from hard topics, and neither do I. Um, but in the book, we really talk about one thing, and that is God's faithfulness. I love that you said it is present. It's his present faithfulness. You know, there's, there's, um, if we boil the book down, this is the, the core message that God's faithfulness is not necessarily found in his provision of a perfect or pleasing life. And neither is it found in his prevention of painful things. We can see the life of Esther. She lost parents. She experienced sex trafficking. Like this is not, this is not a fairy tale or Disney version or hand sanitized version of, of, of this story. Um, but instead, God's faithfulness is firmly found in his ability and, and capacity to keep his promises. He does keep his promises. He does what he says he's going to do, namely in the promise of Christ himself. And so we can look back at the life of Esther through the lenses of the gospel and see, oh my gosh, God is so faithful, even when it doesn't feel like it. Um, women who have had hard stories have reached out to me and said, I thought I was being punished. And now I understand that this is provision, providence, like my life, his, his provision of the gospel is the greatest thing he's ever done for me. And um, that was the core of the book, to recalibrate our hearts toward the Lord, uh, to see that he is faithful. I feel like it. Yeah. And I thought that the way that you dealt with chapter nine, um, which, you know, for folks who haven't maybe read the entirety of the book of Esther recently, uh, chapter nine is um, <clears throat> is not easy. Um, and it's not yeah. easy to deal with in terms of the conversations that we might be having with unbelievers or with new believers about, you know, the character of God and um, the the killing of people. And so you don't shy away from hard things and you deal with them um, in a way that is conversational and invitational. Um, I love the way that the book allows for space for notes, but not in like an overwhelming way. Like it's not like blank pages that I have to fill in. Like I don't, it didn't feel burdensome in terms of the way it was produced, but it did leave enough white space for me to jot down some notes. And I just, I appreciated the, just the physical structure of the book as well. Um, again, we're talking with Megan Brown. You can find her online at meganbbrown.com. The book is Summoned, Answering a Call to the Impossible. It's an eight-week study of Esther. We're giving away copies today. Text the word book to 877 877- Nine three three two four eight four. Megan, in the um, in the last uh, you know thirty or forty seconds that we have left, um, what do you want listeners to know um, in terms of your own family's experience of the Fourth of July and Independence Day? I would just say that um, the the biggest thing that comes to my mind is that they're combat veterans and fireworks are not always the favorite. So I would say that as we approach the Fourth of July weekend, there's so many friends of mine, veterans. Um, that, that um, you know, are, are in my head and in my heart this weekend. Um, so know your neighbors. That's, that's my PSA. Know your neighbors and, and know if fireworks are going to bless them or really be a burden this weekend. Yeah, that's, I think that's such wise 
um, such wise counsel. Thank you so much. Blessings, blessings, blessings upon you and your family, the military community where you serve, um, your local church, the women that you're gathering with to uh, to study the book of Esther, and um, blessings upon the rollout of this book as well. We look forward to talking with you again, Megan. It's been It's been a real joy. Thank you so much. Absolutely. We'll be right back. I just, um, I love what God's doing. I love what God's doing right now. I love God's persistent faithfulness, um, his creative use of people, the way he has called people like Megan into um, not only military life, but into ministry in the military and this passion to mobilize the local church in communities across the country um, where the U.S. military is based. Like, I'm, I'm captivated by this, um, by this idea. So let's be thinking creatively today about the way we can share the good news of the gospel with others in our own communities. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.